Welcome to Flyover Conservative Podcast with David and Stacey Whited, where we break down current events and examine culture through the lens of conservative Christian values. Welcome to the Flyover Conservative Podcast. We have a really unique treat for you. It's a unique treat for us. Uh, we're really excited about today's content, and we ask you to go into this with an open mind. We're trying to create today's episode in the kind of framework that you could take it. We got tools for you to download. It's it's not... It's not uh, uh, bombastic and, and crazy speak. We're going to provide a lot of receipts, a lot of details, a lot of information for you to take and, and actually learn and grow and become and have great conversations with other people. We always say on the Flyover Conservative Podcast, we our goal is for you to have more intelligent conversations at the water yep. cooler or Thanksgiving table. Today's will help you. And uh, hopefully we, right now, this is one you can go ahead and share and begin to put out with people and have more interesting conversations on one of the craziest topics of our lifetime. That is for sure. So today's guest is a San Francisco Bay Area architect. He's a member of the American Institute of Architects and the founder and former CEO of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. Welcome to the show, Richard Gage AIA. Welcome! <laughs> Yay! Well, thank you for that wonderful uh, introduction. I appreciate it. The applause. Oh, my gosh. Well, Absolutely. You, you need them. You know, as, yep. a, as, a, as an architect, I'm sure you're used to getting applause every day. You oh, know, yeah. You show up to work and you you finish a, <laughs> a, a, a blueprint. You know, it's like it's just like, you know, Patrick Mahomes or any other professional. You know, you probably get a lot of that. Oh, yeah. You know, it is an honor to have you, especially on a topic that everybody knows something about. Mm -hmm. I've never met anyone who knew everything about but everybody has an opinion about. And so it's kind of going to be a, a, a really interesting thing. We're going to open up a can of worms. And I've been having conversations with people since we talked recently in Idaho. Um, what questions do you have on this subject? Just different people who I knew are experts in different fields from medical and a lot of range. And everybody, they, they replied, oh, that's interesting. I thought about this. And almost all of them would reply to my text like an hour later with like three or four more things kind of because it kind of woke up. This is in the rear view mirror, but then they kind of remember where I was and what happened. And there's a lot of more questions inside them than what they initially. And what you're referring to is 9-11 and building seven, which is not talked yep. about that often. Not so much. This is going to be a mm -hmm. very interesting conversation. That's this one right here. Yes. Right behind you. No, a lot of people don't even know exactly there was right. another one, and it's it's probably for me something that kind of began unraveling like a snag in a sweater, started pulling things apart, just because I'm like, well, that's that's odd, you know. And we grew up in the Midwest; we don't even have any buildings that big, mm, nope. and, and uh, you know, so forth. But it just seemed kind of odd. A lot of it left you with a lot more questions than answers, and it seemed clunky and misinformation and all this, and it kind of kind of opened up our eyes to to a lot of things and was kind of a doorway to more questions, to be honest with you. But I've never had the opportunity to actually sit down one-on-one -on -one with somebody who's a world-renowned expert on the actual science of how these buildings are structured, how they work, and somebody who's dedicated maybe 15-plus years to studying this exact topic. Yep. I'm glad to be on, and I'm looking forward to talking about it. I mean, I was shocked uh, in 2006 I had never heard any alternative theory as to how these buildings came down or that there was a third tower that came down. It wasn't even hit by an airplane. Uh, and so I'm listening to David Ray Griffin, who's written now 14 books on this subject. He's being interviewed by Bonnie Faulkner's Guns and Butter Show 
on the KPFA program in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I, I, I mean, I, I was a flag waving Reagan Republican. I wanted to go into Afghanistan and Iraq and get those guys who did this to us. Yeah. I mean, I was not a happy camper. I, I was all for the military invasion of those countries. I didn't know about the evidence that we're going to be talking about today. I found out about it. I put together a PowerPoint over a few months doing my own research, took it to the architects that I worked for at the time. I, I bribed them I, I, with pizza. So they had to come in because I'd been talking, you know, about this in the office. And they, most of them thought I was nuts. Some of them had done their homework. But all of them, after reviewing the the graphic and and video and audio evidence about uh, the destruction, the very explosive destruction of these three buildings, they all agreed at the end. Oh my God, you're right. These are controlled demolitions. We've got to have a real investigation. Those, that was my first 15 architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. Now there are 3,500 architects and engineers staking their reputations which is a significant step yep. uh, in this society of yeah. cancel culture and being labeled conspiracy theories. They're staking their reputations, demanding a new investigation into the destruction of all three World Trade Center skyscrapers on 9-11. Mm -hmm. So th that's why I keep going, because everybody I talk to and have the opportunity to bring the evidence, particularly yep. video yes. and and photo, uh, they all they all tend to raise their hand, you know, and 700 uh, radio interviews uh, and TV interviews. Yeah. But in, in about an equal number of live presentations, I always ask, how many of you uh, think we need a new investigation after this? All the hands go up. Well, wow. OK, so let's talk about this. So 2006, that's five years after um, after they went down. Now, let's talk a little bit about Building 7 because there might be people here listening that are like, what are you talking about? I know about the two towers. What are you talking about the third one? I didn't know there was a third one. They much had like no your, idea. Much like yourself. I'll give you guys a tool real quick as you're listening. Um, um, Richard provided us a, a PDF that goes through it. If you're, if you're a student and you like to you know, follow mm -hmm. along or you're one of these people that goes to a church that's got a nice bulletin. Yeah, you exactly. You know that you can got the, write all three points down. Uh, everything is is inside of this, as well as a link to his website and some other work. If you send us a text at 40509 and just text 911 or 911, mm -hmm. whichever one's easier for you to do, uh, 40509, and then just in the body of the text, put 911. You'll get an automatic Dropbox link that'll come to you that will give you this PDF document, a link to his website, and some of his other work. So you can kind of follow along as you're doing this. There'll be another additional kind of take-home tool and free giveaway as you go. And mm -hmm. I'm going to kind of be going through this with you today as well. Exactly. So let's talk about it. Tell us a little bit about Building 7. Well, this is a 47-story skyscraper about 100 yards away from the North Tower. It, on the afternoon of 9-11, after witnesses hear explosions, this building uh, drops like a rock, like you see here, yep. straight down, uniformly, symmetrically, into its own footprint, in the exact manner of a classic controlled demolition. Well, wait a minute. Wow. We've never yeah. had, it had a few small scattered fires in it, uh, we've never had a steel frame fireproof skyscraper collapse due to fires. And there have been much hotter, larger, and longer lasting fires in these buildings before 9-11. After 9-11, they've never collapsed. So why is this one in particular, which wasn't hit by an airplane, collapsing 
And there's like a half a dozen witnesses of explosions before it collapses. So it's pretty incredible just on the face of it. Everybody kind of gets looking at that video that this is uh, a controlled demolition. We've all seen them. Uh, the old hotels in, in mm -hmm. Las Vegas, mm -hmm. yeah. for instance, it's just uh, an uncanny resemblance. Well, uh, what does NIST tell us? NIST is the National Institute of Standards and Technology, who was tasked by Congress to explain these collapses to the American people. Now, what did they say? Uh, seven years later, yeah. in their final report, they've been fumbling this football for that long, finally come out with a report that says normal office fires brought this building down. Wow. Well, wait a minute. Can we see those fires? <laughs> they're few, yeah. they're small, and they're scattered throughout this building. And they're not burning at the time that NIST uh, claims they were burning. They were out on the 12th and 13th floor, which is the area of their focus regarding the initiation of collapse. Those fires were out over an hour before the collapse. So they couldn't have been producing what NIST says is thermal expansion of the long span beams in that building, pushing a girder off of its seat, uh, allowing thir floor 13 to fall on 12 and so on for 10 floors. And then that instability travels vertically upward throughout the building and then laterally across this building, which is a football field in length. So uh, none of that could have happened, and, and we can go into that if we have time. But it's it's um, it's a it's a every point that they make is proven to be fraudulent in that series of events, uh, which they don't have any proof for, other than their attempted proof with a finite element analysis, uh, which is the the uh, computer modeling that they try to get this computer to behave like the video and it doesn't even behave. It begins to tip over. <laughs> it, it, they stop it after two seconds into the overall collapse uh, because they don't want us to see it tipping over because they can't even get the computer model. Well, interestingly, the University of Alaska in Fairbanks, Professor Leroy Halsey, did a four-year finite element analysis himself to find out what would happen uh, to this building, um, uh, could it have come down by fire? No. The conclusion after four years is that no way did it come down by fire. He, he and his PhD candidates, he's one of the top forensic structural engineers in the country. I mean, University of Alaska at Fairbanks is a serious uh, engineering uh, school. So uh, he found that in order for this building to come down the way you just saw it come down in the video, all the columns had to have been removed at once. Well, <laughs> how do you do that? Does yeah. a few small scattered fires do that? No. And, the, and within a, a second of each other, the first, the, the core columns followed by the uh, exterior columns at once. Uh, and what can do that? I mean, this is what they do in controlled demolition. And this is just the beginning of the body of proof that shows that this building and the Twin Towers were brought down by explosive controlled demolition. Wow. It's fascinating looking at that because to just the layman, just looking at it, you think that's odd that it would fall so perfectly in uniform, maybe seven hours after the other two towers fell because of, and this is what we were kind of told, mm -hmm. some embers and fire things flew through the windows of it and caught 
fire on the office furniture and the sprinklers didn't come on and that caused enough heat to melt steel beams and, and for it to all bust to not fall like this for it to be perfect. When you first look at that, you think there's just no way. Let's unpack that. Cause there's, there's a lot you, you kind of threw out there and, yeah. and, and there, the, uh, the, the interesting thing is the, the heat of office fires, normal office fires in the case of building seven and then jet fuel in the case of the twin towers can um, weaken steel somewhat. It has to get to 1200 degrees Fahrenheit to weaken steel to the point where it begins to bend. Now that's the official narrative. Uh, and for both buildings, essentially, uh, that, that, that the fires were very hot and in, engulfing. Well, they were out on the floors for over an hour before the collapse. In the case of Building 7, uh, they couldn't have been producing that thermal expansion that NIST relies on. In the case of the Twin Towers, uh, they were uh, virtually out. Very cool fires indicated by the thick uh, black smoke that these were oxygen-starved and cooler fires. NIST says they're 1,800 degree fires Fahrenheit. Um, well, fire office fires don't get that hot, uh, especially these office fires. Um, and and what the interesting thing is that that and they have no evidence to support temperatures over 500 degrees Fahrenheit. Interestingly, mm. uh, so that's just a claim. But we do have incredible quantities of evidence suggesting that there were temperatures, not in the fires, but in the aftermath of these buildings collapse, exceeding 2,800 degree Fahrenheit. So yes, beams did melt. Beams were attacked, according to the FEMA metallurgical examination in Appendix yeah. C, with hot sulfur corrosion attack. The ends of the beams partly evaporated, according to fire protection engineer and FEMA author Jonathan Barnett. Now, where do we get temperatures in the official narrative that are this hot? We don't mm -hmm. anywhere. And so they, they deny that there was any melting of steel. Well, that's just the beginning of the evidence of melting steel. I mean, the metallurgical examination shows steel from both the World Trade Center uh, 7 with silver dollar size holes, uh, which is hot temperature corrosion attack on the steel liquid molten iron. They, they do acknowledge in the FEMA report. Well, wait a minute. What is liquid iron? Yeah. It's molten. It's 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit by definition. This material is pouring, in fact, out of the South Tower minutes prior to its collapse at the point of jet plane impacts. NIST says, well, this must be melted airplane. Well, molten aluminum does not glow bright uh, yellow and white hot in, in daylight conditions. Mm. So this is, again, evidence of molten iron, evidence of 2,800-degree steel. The firefighters are saying molten iron uh, flowing down the channel rails like lava from a volcano. These are quotes that we have on video in our documentary, 9-11 Explosive Evidence experts speak out. This is on the website, richardgage911.org. And this material uh, is, is seen by many. And we've, we document a couple of dozen of them. We have time to do that. But it's all over the place. In fact, the U.S. Geological Survey, in their 
particle analysis of all the World Trade Center dust that came out in 2006 documents billions of what? Previously molten iron microspheres. Let's unpack that. Wow. Previously molten, that's 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit. No possibility for such temperatures in the official narrative. Uh, iron. We haven't used iron in our skyscrapers for over 100 years. This is pure elemental iron. Where does it come from? And uh, they, they also document uh, hot sulfur corrosion. Where does the sulfur come from? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, all of this is evidence of thermite, and, which comes from thermite. Uh, so thermite produced is an incendiary used by the military to cut through steel like a hot knife through butter. Thermite uh, produces 4,000 degree temperatures, easily melting steel, easily bending the wow. beams, uh, hundreds and hundreds of them into these noodle shapes that they couldn't figure out how they got bent into those shapes without cracking. Um, the, the molten iron produces iron, molt, excuse me, thermite produces molten iron, iron. That's one of the ingredients of thermite, iron oxide and aluminum powder. That's, that's what you use to make thermite. And so when, when it ignites, it produces the molten iron. It produces aluminum oxide uh, ash, which you see flowing off of this material, pouring out of the South Tower minutes prior to its collapse. So you've got also the evidence of the, well, the extreme heat, the elemental iron, and the sulfur. It explains all of that because sulfur is added to thermite to become thermate, much more effective at cutting through steel. So no, nothing in the official narrative can account for any of that, and, which is documented by the USGS and R.J. Lee, an environmental consulting group, uh, independently. This is not conspiracy theorists coming up with this. Uh, four tons of molten iron microspheres. All the World wow. Trade Center dust samples have these. The EPA called it a signature element. Uh, a component of the World Trade Center dust. In other words, it's not even World Trade Center dust unless it has the this element. Well, where do molten iron microspheres come from? Because there, this is evidence of ignited thermite in all the World Trade Center dust. So, is there any evidence of unignited thermite in the World Trade Center dust? And so, yes, there it is, right there in the lower right. We talked about the molten iron dripping out of the claws of the, uh, the crab claw excavators. We talked about the molten iron microspheres found by the USGS and RJ Lee on the right. What the, this is a nuclear microscope um, uh, uh, graphic that shows the, the evidence inside of these red-gray chips found by an international team of scientists led by Niels Herrett in Copenhagen. And there's about a sixteenth of an inch large uh, on average. They, they look like paint chips because it's dual layered, red on one side, gray on the other. Well, they get real curious because they they are attracted to a magnet. So they have a high iron content. So they <laughs> do X-ray energy dispersive spectroscopy. And what do they find? They find uh, the elements of of thermite, iron oxide, and aluminum powder, and they get real curious. Now they zoom in 50,000 times, which is what you're looking at on the lower right. 
with, uh, with a nuclear microscope and they find nano-sized particles of iron oxide and aluminum powder. These are nanoscale, a thousand times smaller than the diameter of a human hair, these particulates. Wow. Uh, and they are this, the ingredients of thermite set in a bed of oxygen, silica, carbon. This is organic material, which is used to uh, expand rapidly and create gases that knock things over like in TNT. Mm. So this is incredible because you have an incendiary, which normally works only by means of heat, 4,000 degrees. The, the military uses it to destroy tanks and so forth. The uh, railroads use it to weld their rail rails uh, rails together mm -hmm. on a railroad. And, and then uh, uh, you have... Uh, what, what what happens in, in the lab when they put it in a heater, a differential scanning calorimeter? These red-gray chips ignite, producing Oh, interesting. What? Oh, guess, well, yes, that proves it's an active thermitic material all by <laughs> itself. But what do they produce when they ignite? Molten, Molten iron lava. microspheres. Wow. With the same chemical signature as the molten iron microspheres found by the USGS and R.J. Lee. So we know exactly where those molten iron microspheres came from. They came from these red-gray chips of unignited nanothermite, it's called. This was doc documented in peer-reviewed literature prior to 2001 by Lawrence Livermore Lab, Los Alamos Lab. Mm. So you see, this is a, 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 a repeatable a set of experiments uh, that uh, uh, can be used uh, as direct evidence to show us what really brought down these towers and Building 7. Wow. It's, so it was found in all of them, all three towers, this was found? All the dust surrounding all the towers. In fact, this dust is not dust. It is concrete powder, 90,000 tons of concrete, four-inch thick and eight-inch thick slabs, each an acre in size in the Twin Towers and an acre in size in Building 7, too, by the way. And uh, what we're told is that the weight of the concrete and the steel drove the, the towers down to the ground, in the case of the Twin Towers, uh, and then destroyed itself. Now, this is, you just look at the videos and you can see that, no, it's not driving anything down. It is destroyed in a telescope. Yes manner by itself in the first four seconds after 156 first responders hear explosions, then the tower begins to collapse. Most of them describe a very specific order of events. We didn't know about these eyewitnesses until the uh, New York Times uh, sued the city to release these uh, orally recorded uh, um testimonies and the New York court state of appeals forced uh, the city to release them. And then we find out in 2005, uh, which is the interview I heard from David Ray Griffin, yeah. that, that 156 of them are talking about explosions before the tower came down. Most of them. It's an incredible, and, and that's true by the way, for the, the reporters on the ground that day, there's about 40 of them. Well, 36 of them were reporting this as an explosion-based event. 
Uh, they were, and t- half of them were witnesses, direct witnesses of explosions. But this story got hijacked when the mainstream media came and took over the story and uh, presented this as a collapse due to uh, fires. In the case of the Twin Towers, um, collapse due to fires instigated, started by the by the jet planes. But back to the uh, the, the, the official narrative uh, put forth by Zdenek Bazant of Chicago Northwestern University. He's a structural engineer. He says, uh, he p- provides this multi-page paper, very complex math showing uh, in his mind how the upper part drove the rest of the building down to the ground and then destroyed itself, which violates the laws of physics. But, I mean, how... This was submitted two days after 9-11. The rest of us are in freaking out, yeah. wondering when the next building is going to get hit, right? Right. This guy's in his den cranking out the mathematical equation, which became the theoretical basis for NIST's column failure theory and remains so today. And yet it's been proven wrong by engineers like Tony Zambodi, Richard Johns, Gregory Zudolinsky. They decoded it. They found that fraudulently he made the top part heavier by three times, reduced the capability of the intact cold hard steel below uh, such that he, he rigged it 12 to 1 in favor of a collapse. And so that's been proven wrong now. And the American wow. Society of Civil Engineers won't even publish the liter- literally proof uh, that this was a fraudulent paper because you know, their whole world depends on it, on the lie, just like so many others. So it's one uh, man that said this, and it's held two days after 9-11. He, he writes this, he says this, and then it stands till today. No and, question. And it. then the only investigation yeah. questioning that took seven years until there was any kind of a, a, a bow on. So it's two days and then seven years. Uh, sorry, I, I lost the seven years part. The, yep. the seven years was the, um, I forget the name of that, the the NIST. No, it was NIST. NIST. It was seven years later, final report oh, that the normal the office fires building brought, seven. brought it yeah. down. Yeah. Yes, but Building 7 uh, came out, uh, that report came out seven years after 9-11. Uh, Zdenek Bazant was uh, looking at the Twin Towers here. Uh, so that that's a different, different issue. We don't want to conflate those. Uh, but th- th- what's fascinating is that y- you have... Uh, the concrete that he was using as weight in that mm-hmm. uh, calculation, uh, it's pulverized to a fine powder. There's no stack of pancakes, if you will, at mm-hmm. the bottom of either of these towers. Uh, th- you know, there should be a hundred floors stacked up uh, with, uh, with uh, maybe 50, maybe 10. We don't see one wow. acre size floor. Uh, down at the bottom. What happened to them? Well, they're pulverized. You can see in the videos, this 90,000 tons of concrete pulverized sent over lower Manhattan in a three square mile area from river to river to a fine powder, 100 microns uh, in size, these particles of concrete. 30% of that dust is concrete throughout all the World Trade Center dust samples, again, provided by the USGS and RJ Lee. Well, wait a minute. If 90,000 tons of concrete in each tower is pulverized to a fine powder, what's crushing the building? Right. I mean, it's not available. And yet it times three was what 
Zdenek Bazant used, you say, well, maybe it was a steel. Let's talk about the steel. Yeah. The yeah. steel in these buildings is laterally ejected at 80 miles an hour, clocked by physicists, freely flying structural steel sections weighing four and eight tons ejected laterally out of the towers. If you that want to try like to show- sounds like an explosion to me. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what it takes. I mean, they're <laughs> impaled in skyscrapers all around. These, th these are, they land 600 feet in every direction. How many of them end up at the bottom of the pile? There's only a two-story pile of twisted steel down there. It, it, we're, we're talking uh, 100,000 tons of, of structural steel ejected well outside the footprint. So was it available to crush the building? Not even. Wow. This is a three quarters of the weight of this building that cannot possibly be available to crush the building. So I got to ask you, what's crushing the building? Great well, question. why do we see laterally ejected squibs or isolated explosive ejections out of the sides of these building, these, both these buildings, uh, even 20 stories below the zone of destruction? 40 stories below, 60 stories below, we see these isolated explosive ejections. NIST calls them puffs of air. Uh, well, they're not puffs of air. They, they're full of, of, of ejected building materials. Wow. And, and they say they're puffs of air because the top part is driving the rest of the bottom down but you don't in any of the videos you don't see any top section driving anything down it was destroyed in the first four seconds so there's no pile driver uh if you will uh, a plunger pushing this air out at all these are isolated explosive ejections so yeah. you see this evidence uh, in the video of the towers and and the the uh, forensic evidence left behind in the form of molten iron microspheres, unignited mm -hmm. nanothermite, uh, the eyewitness testimony of the first responders, this all adds up to a vast body of irrefutable, overwhelming scientific forensic evidence and eyewitness testimony. It cannot be overcome. So what does the mainstream media do? They completely ignore it. That's mm -hmm. all they can do. In fact, we did get on C-SPAN for a 45-minute interview. I gave all this evidence to them. And? Uh, we hassled them so much that they finally <laughs> relented and said, okay, what do we have to do to get you guys to stop calling us? Well, have, have, uh, have us on. So uh, we were on. This is Washington Journal, uh, the, the most popular program they have where they interview all the, the uh, guests. Um, I mean, the senators and so forth in, in Washington, who's who. And... This video that we did became their number one most viewed video of all time wow. on wow. their website. Wow. People are really hungry for truth on this. They really Over a million are. views. More than Obama when they interviewed him at his peak of popularity. So, wow. uh, but they haven't had us back. You know, they, they, they got us keep sweeping this under the rug. Okay, I got to oh. ask you. you say, for those of you listening, again, a lot of these bullet points, stats, numbers are all listed in this PDF that you can get at 40509 and then just text the word 911. 
uh, to text number 40509. Get you a link to richardgage911.org, his site, um, all of his work. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll put all of that inside of that, or you can just go directly to richardgage911.org. And there is a wealth of information. Um, it's got to be a little frustrating for you uh, to have so much, because this is a lot of detailed facts and data and information. So my question for you is, um, you know, after kind of watching stuff, reading stuff, listening to stuff, it sounds like on Building 7, they cleared the debris away pretty quick. Oh, starting just two weeks after 9-11, the debris from Building 7 was hauled to where? The landfill. And then where? Barges. Sent to where? China for recycling uh, before investigators could get their hands on it and do a proper invest forensic investigation. They only saved 256 pieces of steel, and two of those uh, uh, were actually documented in this Appendix C that we discussed in the Building Performance Assessment Team report by FEMA that came out in May of 2002. And, and, and they document very carefully, like I said, the hot corrosion attack on the steel. And then NIST takes over that investigation in 2002. They throw it out. It's completely ejected from their report. And they deny any evidence of molten iron or explosions uh, of, of the hundreds of witnesses and so forth, claiming they interviewed 1,000 people and there's nobody talking about explosions. Well, we show them all in our documentary, 9-11 explosive evidence experts speak out it sounds more like uh here's the conclusion now find a way to get there right versus oh it was a reverse versus like uh yeah here yeah. here let's, let's follow the evidence and follow the facts it doesn't seem too much like that it seems like uh anything involving government media and the whole idea of follow the science well, when to- the Bush administration came into power with the neocons from the project for a new american century uh they they uh, replaced the leadership of the of, of NIST, and and you end up with uh, people like uh, Sham Sunder, uh, the co-project leader, and John Gross, whom we uh, exposed six ways from Sunday, worse than Fauci was ever exposed. Wow, wow. that wow. is just that's crazy. Okay, so um, I mean, obviously you don't know because you're not the one that that cleared it that fast, but. How fast do they typically clear debris? What should have been the process they went through? Especially if it's considered a crime scene. And why would they have done that so fast? Yes, this was a a crime scene. And the preservation of evidence, uh, uh, there are laws uh, to preserve evidence in a crime scene, as you can imagine. Um, And when when, when a plane goes down, even if it goes down underwater, they retrieve as many pieces as they can. They put it together. They figure out exactly what happened. They have teams of forensic uh, scientists and engineers uh, working on it. Uh, But that was not done in this case uh, because, interestingly, as the Pentagon was hit uh, with whatever it was hit or destroyed with, um, they declared that an act of war. Uh, That is what invoked Article 5, allowing the U.S. to drag its allies uh, into Afghanistan and Iraq under uh, uh, the NATO uh, uh, treaty. So uh, as an act of war, the preservation of of evidence in a crime scene is apparently nullified. Uh, So they weren't I guess, too concerned about that. But people like Bill Manning, editor-in-chief of Fire Engineering Magazine, was crying out, uh, you know, in Fire Engineering Magazine's 
the magazine that fire protection engineers communicate with uh, through. And he's crying out, a crucial evidence that can answer many questions is on the slow boat to China, showing an astounding Literally. ignorance of government officials to the value of a thorough scientific investigation. Sure. I mean, it seems pretty nefarious to me as to why would they do that? I mean, it doesn't even make sense. Well, it makes sense if you realize what's really going on here uh, uh, that's not exposed by the mainstream media, that no uh, congressmen are taking pains or, or risk to expose. Uh, it, it's only uh, small uh, uh, alternative media and, and, and some experts um, who are uh, screaming about this. <laughs> I've been doing this for 17 years now at Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. I'm now independent with my wife, and we can't stop. Uh, we interview, uh, Gail and I interview uh, uh, an expert in and around the 9-11 Truth movement every week, um, wow. sometimes twice a week. We, wow. we get experts on now to become, you know, with to to not be naive about what's going on around us now, another sure. false flag operation over the last two years. We expose uh, the 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 COVID narrative and the very dangerous and ineffective solution mandated upon so many of us. Um, so that's 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 what has to happen. And you know, it's twenty years now, but we're we're overall with nine eleven at least. Yeah. Um, we don't want it to be another 20 years before the public wakes up about COVID. And sure. luckily now their censorship is really out front and, and blatant. You know, we lost mm -hmm. another YouTube channel. I found out today at lunch, um, but you just kind of <laughs> keep moving forward. We upload to 60 different places and we're just yeah. like, Hey, we're going to keep putting the truth out. We're going to make it so easy to find. And we're going to put it in so many places that people like yourself. And, you know, we have conversations with people like yourself, Dr. Peter McCullough, you know, uh, Dinesh D'Souza, you know, people who have spent their whole lives, you know, in a field. And all we do is create a platform that, for them to be able to share and say their piece. And that's what kind of threatens the, uh, this this story. And it it baffles me. And, and you've got more insight to this than I do of how you could have something happen in such plain sight. Everybody questions it initially. Kind of same as COVID doesn't really mm -hmm. pass the sniff test right out of the gate of how <laughs> yeah. this could yeah. happen. And there's a Wuhan deal. No, it's a wet market and all of these kind of things. Um, you know, there, there's so many things unravel in that. And there's, you know, people like ourselves and other, there's so many more media outlets now that, that are, that are creating platforms to be able to tell the truth. But with, with nine 11, it was just, you know, the, the CNN Fox, a few mainstream medias, you, you kind of get to get to all buy in and within hours within hours they've got the idea of it's some bin laden he's sitting in a cave by himself orchestrating this whole thing from the middle of nowhere and and mm -hmm. and that takes years to find him it's 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 baffling that they could get everybody to all sort of row their boat exactly on cue exactly like that it is it's it's very baffling it's baffling how engineers knew and firefighters knew and police knew that Building 7 was going to come down before it did, and even the, the mainstream media. Uh, it's, it's, this is called foreknowledge. We do uh, quite a, a bit of uh, parallels between 9-11 and COVID. One of them is foreknowledge. If, if, if an event is planned and executed, uh, planned in advance, uh, people know about it. 
And so one of those pieces of foreknowledge, interestingly, is these mysterious construction workers walking away from Building 7, looking, uh, uh, hearing an explosion over their shoulder, looking back at the building and over here, (laughs) and then uh, looking straight into the CNN camera and saying, did you hear that? That building's coming down. Flame and debris coming down. We're moving it back because the building's going to blow up. Well, wait a minute. No steel frame fire protected structure on fire. And there were a few small scattered fires in this building. None of them have ever uh, fallen uh, due to fire in history. Zero. Zero. Well, what? There was zero. Zero buildings had ever fallen. Zero. How about today after that? Any any buildings fall oh, after there's, that? There's been uh, uh, probably eight or so fully engulfed skyscrapers. One of them was just last week in China, uh, completely engulfed from top to bottom. No collapse. No, no collapse. It, it doesn't happen. The other example, though, of, of foreknowledge is the BBC announcing the collapse of this building 20 minutes before it happened. It's incredible. Uh, It's standing. It's right over her shoulder. Jane Stanley of the BBC at five o'clock. They announced the collapse of of building seven and its reason for collapsing due to structural weakening when the uh, towers came down. But it doesn't collapse for 20 more minutes. They got the timing all wrong. In fact, CNN announces the collapse of a of a 50 story building. They called it uh, that morning. The question is. Uh, was it supposed to collapse uh, at that time that morning? Because apparently it was a dud and it didn't go off. And those mysterious construction workers walking away from the building uh-huh. uh, and hearing explosions, uh, maybe they fixed a dud that didn't go off. You know, this is a reasonable speculation. Uh, so, yeah, there's, wow. there's a lot going on. There's foreknowledge of the collapse of the Twin Towers. Giuliani is uh, on a well-known video clip walking in the street away from uh, the Twin Towers and saying, yeah, we got word that the, the towers were going to come down. And, and they did come down. Uh, but we got out of uh, Barclay Street before they, they came down. Well, Barclay Street was Building 7 that he's referring to there. So uh, so right now on our screen, just if anybody's wondering, that is the, the one in China that was fully engulfed that did yeah, not collapse. That's a much bigger fire than what you saw <laughs> on 9-11. Oh, yeah. And if you can uh, uh, search for uh, fires building seven, you'll see how few, how small and how scattered. But what you have here is the Twin Towers. See, the, the building, the South Towers on the left, it begins to actually fall over. Well, uh, that would mean there would be asymmetrical loading from this building that's falling off of the rest of the building, right? Asymmetrical damage from the fires, asymmetrical damage from the plane damage uh, to columns. But then right after this, you have complete symmetrical damage all the way down all four sides of the building. And we have a close-up shot that was done by one of these uh, videographers, and they show dozens of individual explosions coming out of the leading corner of the of the building. Uh, mm. it, it, it's very obviously uh, an explosive event. It was an orange, and yet they told us it was an apple. Mm. Wow. 
Okay, so you obviously started studying Building 7 after you heard what was happening. Then you went over to the Twin Towers. Is that what happened after that and started doing some research on that as well? Yeah, Building 7 caught my attention for sure uh, uh, early on because I I, I even, I, I mean, I don't study controlled demolitions. I didn't before. I do now. They look looks exactly like one. So I I began to look at it very closely. In this view, the East Penthouse, which is a structure, taller structure of, on the roof uh, on the left, which had already come down. It comes down six seconds prior to the overall building collapse. Well, uh, NIST tells us uh, this is the beginning of the collapse and due to the failure on floor 12, but there's no indication below the East Penthouse collapse uh, of ma major uh, failures in the exterior structural steel or granite panels. There's only a couple of dozen windows that break. Um, so that is not connected to the rest of the building failure. Um, and we know that because it's an isolated uh, a failure. So maybe some of the explosions went off early. They're mistimed. Um, mm -hmm. Who knows? But the rest of the penthouse structure, which you see there, this is very important. If you show that now from this point forward, you'll see that it all collapses uniformly on the roof a half a second prior to the overall building collapse. That means that all 20 columns beneath that roof structure remaining here gave way uh, uh, all at once. Wow. Now, wait, this tells us that this instability traveled across the building from left to right, east to west, uh, in about uh, 10 or 12 seconds, which is ludicrous in and of itself for a steel frame uh, building like this. Um, and, but uh, then a half a second later, the whole structure gives way at once. Uh, symmetrically all around, meaning Just, all uh, of the columns on the outside uh, gave way, all uh, 60 or so perimeter columns. So it, it's just a dead giveaway. Yeah. Man. And that's what, the reason we start with Building 7 is because most people have a lot, like me, everybody has baggage, emotional baggage. Sure. Yeah. The Twin Towers. Of course. 3,000 people almost lost their lives. People yep. were jumping out of windows. We were attacked. We're in fear. And that's mm -hmm. part of the psychological operation against the American people that was perpetrated on us. Uh, we, we are put in fear. We can't even use our critical faculties uh, properly in a state of fear. We're almost put in an infantile state of psychology mm. yep. where we just want answers. We want the pain, the shock to go away. We want to return to normal in the worst way. So the explanations, like you said, that came out 48 hours, Bin Laden, we've got the hijackers' passports, which magically survived. Landed in the streets intact. Fireball. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we, they have all the answers. We're, you know, we can't let this stand. Uh, you're either with us or with the terrorists. Mm -hmm. So we're manipulated emotionally to go to war mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and completely uh, uh, as a result, not only the, uh, well, uh, the, the Pentagon, certainly, but particularly the, the attack on the Twin Towers and the massive mm -hmm. loss of life. Uh, we supported, I supported war. Most mm -hmm. all of us did. Sure. In a you know, Toby, Toby Keith's song came out oh, and, yeah. you know, all this stuff. You're just like. You know, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Pat Tillman leaves the Cardinals to go 
volunteer for, I mean, everybody was like, what can we do to defend our country? And I think it's a, it's a hard task, whether you're talking COVID or you're talking nine 11 for people, they have an emotional attachment. I lost my grandmother. I lost loved ones. You know, look at all the people that died. Mm -hmm. Like, I think for a lot of people to accept that maybe this was not done by a lone actor operating from a cave in Afghanistan, mm -hmm. that if it was much closer to home and much more uh, awareness by our own home team, it, it's too much for people to actually grab a hold of. Well, it you know, turned my whole world around. My my sure. my worldview was set. You know, I, I, our government is essentially on our side. Yeah, they make mistakes, but to to perpetrate an act like this just blew my worldview. It turned my world upside down. I was mm -hmm. I, I I was angry. I was in shock. I knew this couldn't be true, but here was the facts. I'm in cognitive dissonance. And this is true for every poor soul who wakes up to the truth about 9-11 and now COVID. Uh, we, we can't imagine that, um, you know, the, the big pharma could be so powerful as to control other agencies in other countries. And every one of our congressmen, uh, who, congresspersons who, who uh, supported the Emergency Use Authorization Act, which was manipulated uh, mm -hmm. six ways from Sunday to, to give us these unsafe and un ineffective vaccines uh, for, for a disease that, whose deaths have been exaggerated uh, grossly, uh, uh, 100% or whatever. So uh, all of this is proven now. And, and so it's making my job easier, frankly, yeah. uh, to talk about 9-11 because people are more open-minded about lies from their government as a result of what they're seeing around them in the last two years. Yeah. So that's why we do have this uh, really great uh, presentation by Dr. Mata Vassetti and myself in turn talking about the these parallels uh, between 9-11 and COVID. And uh, they are numerous. Uh, they are... Uh, we're talking about foreknowledge, abuse of science, uh, the the uh, manipulative uh, narrative that that changes, uh, extreme censorship on the part of of uh, of the media, the the labeling of people conspiracy theorists, even by the medical journal The Lancet, uh, a false narrative, you know, that came from bats. Now it's proven it's it's it came from a lab through gain of function which Fauci was directly involved in funding at Wuhan. So we have these, these incredible revealing truths. In the case of 9-11, 19 fundamentalist hijackers? No, we don't think that they had access to three of the most highly secure buildings outside the Pentagon to set and, and, and these explosives. No, this is obviously an inside operation, just like anthrax was proven to be and admitted by the FBI. It came from the anthrax attacks two weeks after 9-11 came from uh, a, a lab, uh, the, the, the most uh, highly advanced anthrax spores ever developed could only have come from, and admittedly so, uh, the uh, a military lab. So okay, it's getting so easier. I just want to say, let's say that somebody's listening here and they're like, okay, I'm I'll give you building seven, but what are you talking about with the world trade centers? What are you talking about with that? Those planes, these planes hit them, you know, obviously they came down because of that. We saw so, that. We saw that happen. We saw it happen. You know, I mean, everybody, if, if, you know, the, the I, I pretty much anybody listening, they could probably remember where they were when they saw this happen. Yeah. 
So what are you saying about the World Trade Centers? Are you saying that the same thing that happened to Building 7 actually happened to the World Trade Centers? And what about the planes? Well, we talked about the uh, dispositive, uh, irrefutable, overwhelming evidence for the explosive demolition of all three towers. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Twin Towers were hit by planes. So there's a huge question about who was in control of those planes. And there's plenty of researchers suggesting that they were drones uh, remotely guided uh, to hit their targets. I mean, if you were running an operation like this, would you trust uh, uh, Muslim hijackers who, who hijackers uh, allegedly, who failed Cessna flying school? Uh, they, these were not highly trained pilots. They, they, they are patsies according to the wor- the works exposed by uh, the the research by David Ray Griffin, who exposes this in particular, and many others uh, have shown that they could not have fl- flown these p- planes uh, into their targets. Uh, just before this event, in fact, in the South Tower, you have a, a, an immediate maneuver that uh, uh, corrects the, the trajectory of the plane just pr- immediately prior to hitting its target. This is uh, um, by most accounts, a military outfitted plane. So there was a swapping, apparently, uh, of the planes uh, in uh, in air, and and uh, the plane that took off from the civilian airport. Uh, don't know what happened to that, but but these planes, the, the, apparently, the serial numbers don't match. They won't release them. So that's the scenario that's. Uh, believed by most researchers in the 9-11 truth movement, not all. So I, I don't research that, but that might give you a, a taste of, of of the depth of the problem here. Yeah. <laughs> they set the whole thing up from beginning to end. The, the Pentagon, for instance, is said to have been attacked by a plane flown by Hani Hanjer, who they wouldn't even rent him a Cessna because his flying skills were so bad. So it's just a, a cover story that uh, that these uh, hijackers were yeah. in control of these planes. What, what about all the passengers that were on there? What about all the family members of people that that were passengers on these planes? The Pennsylvania flight, and the, yeah, all the, and the others. That. What, what's your thought on all that? Great questions. I, I haven't seen any evidence to give us answers to those questions. That's a good answer to the mm-hmm. question because I, one thing I like I've listened to you before is you, you speak with authority and confidence on the things that you know and you can measure and you can test mm-hmm. the things that you don't know you kind of defer on and say you know what I don't know you know I mean and I think that's probably a pretty good place to be on some of these things for those of you listening again you can go to text four zero five zero nine the word this nine one one to get this walkthrough that's that's got the details it's PDF that you can print off, as well as it'll be links directly to uh, Richard's work and his website. But in, in our in our last minute here in closing, what do you have to say to people that are like, ah, this is a bunch of who we do. They just, they're whatever, they're, they're, their brain can't get it. Where would you direct them? If, they're, if they would do exactly what you say, what would you have them do next? Well, first of all, if, if, if it's too much for you individually to imagine that this could be true, I would let it go. I would just let those seeds uh, do what they do in your, in your mind, in your heart and, and, um, and, and not push yourself. Uh, on the other hand, if your curiosity has been piqued uh, and you, 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 you're, you're kind of weighing the, the pluses and minuses here, you, you have to look at the, uh, the, the, 
the documentary that we made on this subject, uh, which is full of graphics and video and testimony that, that is irrefutable. And so if you're ready for that, uh, that is on the website, on the front page uh, of Richard Gage, 911.org. It's called 911 Explosive Evidence Experts Speak Out, where we've assembled 40 high-rise architects, structural engineers, metallurgists, chemists, physicists, mm-hmm. control demolition experts, all laying out this evidence. Another great, that's an hour and a half, uh, another great um, interview is, um, I mean, documentary, is uh, actor Ed Asner, who narrates the 15-minute documentary on Building 7 that I made uh, to go on PBS. And it's really well done, high quality, just about Building 7, only 15 minutes. That's the one you want to share with people to get them started. And you said that it's on PBS. Where do they find that? They find that also at richardgage911.org? Yes, it comes right up uh, under the documentaries, and it's called um, uh, Solving the Mystery. There it is on the left of World Trade Center 7. Okay. Architects and engineers. Okay, perfect. Fantastic. Wow, this has been very informative. We really appreciate your time. We appreciate um, just the way you've handled it as well. So thankful that you've put the hours into this because I'll tell you what, if not for you, if not for a few others, this is that they can get away with anything they want because just mm. you know this is not happening, you know, and okay, I guess it's not happening. And they just mm-hmm. people just go back to work and they can get away with anything they want. But it's it's knowledgeable experts like you that are willing to say, you know what, I'll put my reputation out here, I'll put everything I have on the table because you had everything to lose in the process. I mean, really, yep. your reputation, everything to lose in the process. What did you I, have I, to gain? I, I thank you for doing that yeah. because it's a great example for others. There's going to be a lot in the medical field. There's going to be a lot in nurses. There's going to be mm-hmm. a lot in science and pharmacy. There's going to be a lot of people that will have the opportunity when they come to that same fork in the road uh, coming mm-hmm. out of mm-hmm. of uh, the, the, the current crisis. And I, I think your example is a good one for them to follow. Well, thank you. And Gail and I are working very hard on the film, a new film, by the way, 9-11 Crime Scene to Courtroom. And we'll we'll never stop. This film is going to be submitted to the U.S. attorney to be given as a supplement to the grand jury petition. It will go to the grand jury. Uh, And this film will be looking right into the camera, presenting all this evidence, the largest assembly of evidence ever been put on a film because it's a series and we'll go section by section through all of the evidence. It'll end up being five hours long, but section by section, people can take it in bite-sized pieces. I'll be working with Mick Harrison, the litigation director of the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry. We together, uh, myself and my the experts that we'll bring to bear, talking about the evidence, Mick talking to the grand jury about what the evidence means. What is evidence? What is this piece of evidence? Who can you subpoena? Who are, are mat- persons of material interest that could help you put an investigation together? Because mm-hmm. there will be indictments forthcoming from a real investigation like this, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And that's not my job, but Mick's going to help the grand jury do their job. So uh, that uh, film is uh, on our website, uh, the, the, the film series. Uh, the efforts we're making, the progress we're making toward getting it done. We film in Washington, D.C. Uh, next month. Uh, we're very wow. excited. The script is nearly done. Uh, we're very excited about it. So there's a fundraising effort there at richardgage911.org. Please support us. Love it. Richard, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it.
We are so honored and privileged uh, each and every week to do an economic update with somebody that we've known for over over 25 yeah, years. Long his, time. his dad was a mentor to Stacy and I when we first got married, and we didn't really have the appreciation mm-hmm. for him taking the time to be messed around in school all the time, getting two PhDs. <laughs> he, has, he has twice as many PhDs as Stacy and I put together, but I'll tell yep. you what, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the rain's coming and you appreciate the guy that built a boat, <laughs> you know, over the last 25 years, Dr. Dr. Kirk Elliott. Yay! Welcome. You know what? You weren't the only one that didn't appreciate me back then because I had long hair and people assumed that there's got to be some kind of a hoodlum or something, right? Well, we, 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 we liked you personally. It just you're spending all this time. You're a professional. You're going to school. You're like a professional student. You know, yeah. we were like off and running and doing running crazy, doing all kinds of stuff. And, and all of a sudden it's like. Oh, thank you, Kirk, for going hey, to school. Hey, the, 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 the. World Economic Forum has taken over and the globe is shifting and the dollar is crashing. Yeah. And it's like, hey, who do we know that knows a lot about this? Uh, oh, remember that guy that, that spent forever in college and got two PhDs? Yeah. All of a sudden, <laughs> right. all of a sudden that, that just became super relevant all of a sudden. Yeah. And, and you know, it goes with the territory. Everybody that was like a professional student for like half their life had to have long hair. It just goes with the Oh, yeah. Territory. No doubt about it. For before, sure. That before. was definitely the deal. Hey, you got to flaunt it where yeah. you got it, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, those are the days. So, anyways, though, what a week for for economic news! Wow, right? no Huge. kidding. And and it started the end of last week. So a week ago on Friday, um, the news came out about FedEx. Seriously, <laughs> this is one of the best leading indicators. That's not a leading indicator report, right? right? So, so FedEx shares were sinking. Why? Because their earnings were down from the last quarter by a third, like 33% down earnings. Oh. So so that means nobody's shipping anything, which means what? Nobody's buying anything because nope. if there's not buying anything, they don't have to ship anything. Mm. So FedEx shares came down like 21% last Friday, right? So so here's, here's where it starts to get a little bit squirrely because mm-hmm. when when people don't spend, there's a domino effect, right? So- right. Not only is it just impacting FedEx and their shipping and their stock value, but what about when people buy stuff from like Amazon or mom and pops or and Best Buy or anything, right? They ultimately have to ship it somewhere, right? So, right. but that's yeah. not happening. So then those stores are going to hire fewer people. Now there's fewer people working, mm-hmm. fewer people spending. So government tax revenues come down. Sales tax revenues come down. Income tax revenues come down. Oh, if they're not, don't have enough money to like buy a house because interest rates are going up and banks are running dry on, on liquidity and Man. can't afford it because they're not working, then property tax revenues come down. Yep. I mean, here's, here's where the governments are going to be in a big pickle. Mm-hmm. Municipal, state, federal, because there's no revenues coming in. So what is going to happen next is, well, we still have obligations to meet. We still have entitlements. We still have stimulus programs. We still have Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, food stamps, women, infant, children programs. We've got infrastructure, education. We've got everything that we have to pay for. Man, there's not enough money coming in from tax revenues. So what do the governments do? They inflate or die, yep. right? They are printing money yep. like there's no tomorrow, causing even more inflation, which then causes the Fed to say, we got to raise rates even more, which is what they did, Yep. right? Mm-hmm. This week, again, 
So that means five months in a row that they've raised rates, right? So, wow. and the rate of increase of those of those rates is accelerating. So, yep. here's which means they have no clue as to what to do to slow down the inflation train. It's like, hello, McFly. Are we, yeah. I, I can figure hello. it out. For you. Stop printing money. Right. Right. Do- Dr. That'll, Kirk, I'll make, a, I'll make a comment on that real quick because. They, they kind of mess with those numbers. And that was actually one of your, your PhDs of focus on actually how to actually accurately detect inf, you know uh, inflation. And they can fiddle with those. They can, you know, instead of having a filet mignon in the cart, you know, they can put hamburger and they, mm-hmm. and it kind of looks like it's the same thing. And that still shows it going up, but companies like federal express, like they can't fudge these numbers. They can cut back on expenses to increase their stock value, but they can't artificially show more customers than they have. Right. You know, either there's there's packages on the planes and the trucks or there's not. One of the things for those of you just listening on the radio or you're on Apple Podcast or Podbean or one of these things, Federal Express is closing over 90 offices. Wow. 90 corporate offices. This is a global company, so it's not just a United States thing. This is there's a ripple that's happening and it's affecting mm-hmm. everybody in the whole world for them to have to close 90 corporate offices and locations and defer hiring. Mm-hmm. That's legit. Like they're having to, cause they're, they're defending their, their shareholders. But if they had enough revenue because people were shipping and buying, they wouldn't need to do that. Right. And so they're cut slashing expenses everywhere they can because there's no packages on the planes. People are, are pulling back. They're not spending because they're spending on average $800 a month on fixed living expenses with their electric bills and everything else heading into winter. It's only going to get worse. Well, it is. And, and I, Eager to see what happens when UPS has to come out with their numbers, when DHL, which is more of like a global shipper, comes out with their numbers. Because as mm-hmm. bad as it is here, it's worse overseas. The sure. global economy is even sicker than the U.S. economy, and the U.S. economy isn't healthy, right? Right. So, so you've got these issues happening. So, what? So, you know, you you alluded to Amazon, right? When people mm-hmm. aren't buying stuff. You know, they're not going to have to ship stuff. Well, who's like the biggest shipper on the planet? Well, Amazon, right? Yep. It's like everybody buys like everything from Amazon. Mm-hmm. And now they've even got same day delivery, which is mind numbing to me. How does that even work? But it, yet yep. it does. But but look at this next article. So Spain, this is how bad it's getting in Europe. All of the Amazon construction projects, the warehouses that they were going to build in Spain, they shut them down. Just Man. shut them down. They're, they're not going to be building out. They suspended the construction, which means some of them had already started. They're just not going to finish it, right? Because nobody's buying anything. And so, so. I mean, they canceled plans to open 42 U.S. facilities. 42. They canceled plans to do that. I think it was like 25 million square feet or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and this is in a time when, when gas is expensive and people don't necessarily want to go out and shop, they want to stay mm-hmm. home and save money. So you'd think that Amazon would be booming. Yep. You know, with people just buying stuff at home, but they're they're not because they the the money has has run out. Mm-hmm. Right. With with higher taxes, higher inflation, fewer people working, higher cost of everything. I mean, people just they're tapped. And this this is America where we're truly one to two missed paychecks away from filing for yeah. bankruptcy. Right. Consumer confidence is waning when when you've got now, um, well, 20% of every house that's for sale in America now, it's not, it's not like it was three months ago. 
when you put a house on the market, it would sell 24 to 48 hours here in Denver and, mm-hmm. and you would get a, an, a, an offer that's $50,000 right. higher than the yeah. asking right. price, right? It's crazy. In, in two days or one day. I mean, yep. now now houses are just on the market. They're 20% right. of all houses are now lowering their price You know, every wow. single week. It's like, we've got to sell this thing before rates go up again. Too bad. You waited too long. Because right? they're going up every single month like mm-hmm. clockwork. So- at the end of 2021, the Fed actually announced they were going to do eight to 10 rate increases in a row. We've only had five. So we still have about double more to go. And and when one of the, the Fed Reserve Bank presidents, I don't know if it was Minneapolis or St. Louis which or Kansas City, whichever one it was, said, you know what, we are going to do whatever we can do in raising rates until inflation comes down substantially. It's like, okay. Looks like we're just going to be in for raising rates for quite some time because they're not going to stop printing money. And that's what causes inflation. Yep. So it's right. like, which comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? They're, yep. they're doing that. They're trying to provide the solution to the problem that they're creating. And therefore, they're not going to be able to fix it because they're not looking at the root cause of inflation, which is them printing money. Yep. Right. So, so we've got issues here. And because of that, they keep raising rates to try to slow down inflation well, this week, the two-year Treasury yield is higher than it's been in 15 years. So this cost of borrowing, the cost of everything keeps going up, 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 up. And so we haven't seen interest rates this high in 15 years. And it's going to get worse because we're only halfway through the officially stated rate increase cycle that the Fed stated at the end of 2021. So this sounds pretty depressing. What can we do? How do we protect ourselves during this time? Yeah, and how how does silver play a role yeah. in this? So like we talked about on the last show, silver is running out, right? And mm-hmm. and when you have low supply, high demand, the prices go through the roof. Invest into silver, and I hate to sound like a broken record, but yet I love to sound like a broken record yeah. because it's providing a solution that works that people will be happy with and will put a smile on their face, right? It's it's there's it, for every crisis there's an opportunity investing into tangible assets like silver and gold, but really silver right now is going to be that that peace in the midst of the storm. It'll put a smile on your face, being in the right place at the right time. I mean, what people don't necessarily realize is, is over the last two weeks, silver's up 12%. Wow. In, in two weeks. Wow. Most people would actually say, I, I'll take that in a year. Right. right? Yeah, it's two weeks. And so so this and I'm not saying that that trend is going to continue like that. That's that's really accelerated growth. Right. I mean, it's not going to keep up that toward pace because that would be almost implausible to think that. But you're going to have this growth and you're going to have really fast times like now you're going to have slower growth. You're going to have some pullbacks from time to time, like we saw over the last two months. Use those pullbacks to allocate more ounces. Right. Right. And and when we're entering into this really fast growing phase in the silver markets, because now stories are coming out that silver's running out, get as much as you can, as quick as you can, mm-hmm. because that's the general rule of thumb investing. Mm-hmm. When something's going up, get in as soon as you can. When something's coming down, get out as soon as you can. Right. Yeah. So that's- so that's what I would tell people is take advantage of these markets so they don't take advantage of you. It will put a smile on your face when you get out of the path of that hurricane and get to safe ground and do the right thing. I love that. So you can go to flyovergold.com 
and it's a landing page. It's got great information. When you scroll down to the bottom, there's a place to fill out your information. Dr. Kirk, when somebody fills out that information, what's the next step? So then you, you fill that out. One of my schedulers, which we've got like eight of them, mm-hmm. <laughs> that will give you a call, ask you some questions. You know, what was it that David, Stacey, and Kirk were talking about that caused you to want to reach out? What do you want to protect? Is it some IRA, some cash accounts, brokerage accounts, whatever it is? Just let them know. So then you'll get on the calendar of myself or one of my advisors and we'll map out a strategy for success for you. It's free. These are free consultations, right? Because the philosophy of our firm is people over profit. When you take care of people like their family, profit will come. If you ever start focusing on profit, people will leave. It's the philosophy of who we are and what we do. But our goal is to to put a smile on your face and start to melt away that financial anxiety that comes when when you don't know what to do and you're paralyzed by fear. Mm -hmm. That's what we do. So the process is easy. You call, we'll get in touch with you, get put on the calendar. And then my team handles everything else from the asset transfers to the funding of it to actually then allocating you into gold and silver to make sure you are in the right place at the right time. You know, about, of all the people we talked to and the communication with, about half of them have all always come back and got more. It yeah. was like mm-hmm. they they'll go back and just, it's it's something that they'll not just do in one one chunk. Right. They'll do it in pieces because they enjoy the process and it's so painless as they go through it. I think right. that's a, a great indicator. Guests can call 720-605-3900 and get in the queue that way or just go to flyovergold.com. There's some videos you can watch. There's some uh, downloads that you can download. Educate yourself, mm-hmm. but get this ball rolling because some of the things take a little longer than others. You have IRAs and different things. It could take a bit and the market is crashing. Real estate's coming down. The world is adjusting. You need to get into something solid sooner than later. Love it. Dr. Kirk, thank you so much for your time. Are you having a hard time sleeping at night thinking, what are you going to do about your finances? If you went back to 1920 and you had a $20 bill and you had one ounce of gold, you could go into a men's clothing store and you could buy an entire suit, the jacket, shoes, pants, belt, everything. Today, what would that $20 bill buy you? You couldn't buy a handkerchief for the $20 bill, but that one ounce of gold would still buy you. Even today, it would buy you an entire men's suit, shoes, belt, pants, jacket, everything. That's the difference. But today, that change is happening faster than ever. And we know a guy by the name of Dr. Dr. Kirk Elliott that we've known for over 25 years. He has two PhDs. This is who we're actually using. This is who our friends and family are using. And he's a guy we trust completely. And in today's era, you need somebody you trust. So go to flyovergold.com and learn how to protect yourself against an inflating dollar. For more great content, go to flyoverconservatives.com.